Luke 24, uh, we're going to begin in verse 13, very familiar passage of scripture, but I want to start with a story that I read just sometime recently that, that, that really kind of, I think, summarizes where we're going to go. This uh, couple of parents decided they were going to take their son on this trip to the Grand Canyon. Now, their son was not old, probably six or seven years old, and so they told him, they said, we're going to take this trip, we're going to go out, we're going to see the Grand Canyon. Well, they were blown away at how excited their son was. I mean, he was so just on top of everything and, you know, was counting down the days to the trip. And so, you know, just all this, this big buildup for the trip. And then they finally get there. The little boy gets out of the car and he runs over and he looks and he, they're like, son, check it out. Look, look at this. And he looks back at his mama and he says, where is it? She says, what do you mean, where is it? She says, it's right in front of you. He says, no, where is it, mama? She said, it's right in front of you, son. Look. She said, this is it. This is the Grand Canyon. And he just dropped his head. And he says, Mama, you told me we were coming to see the Grand Canyon. I wanted to see him fire the Grand Canyon. I wanted to see this, this cannon that was bigger than any other cannon. And I wanted to see that thing get fired. And so, so his expectations were not met, were they? He was expecting one thing and then something else happened. He thought he had all of this buildup for this and then something else transpires that completely crushed his little heart. And you know, when you begin to think about the things that we deal with in the Christian life, the battles that we as pastors face quite often, one of the most prevalent ones, one of the most common ones is simply this, it's unmet expectations. Because we fully expect when we go into ministry that everything is going to be perfect. We fully expect when we follow God that we're never going to have a single problem. Whether we like to admit it or not, we expect that. And then when things don't work out the way we think they should, we kind of crumble, don't we? We start to look only at ourselves, and we forget who's with us. We forget the mission that we've been called to. We forget just the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you go through the Bible, you find this scenario happening quite often. You know, we knock Elijah a lot, don't we? We think, how in the world could Elijah see what happens on Mount Carmel and then just a short period of time later say, God, just go ahead and take me out of here? And I've heard people say, well, you know, he, was, he, was, you know, he followed God, but he was scared of one woman. That, that wasn't why he was in the mindset he was in. Read the passage. God says, why are you here, Elijah? And Elijah spells it out very plainly. God, I expected that your people would return to you. You see, Elijah just knew that when that great event happened on Mount Carmel, that God's people, they would experience this great time of revival. And then when it didn't happen, Elijah was crushed under the weight of unmet expectations. He was crying out to God because things didn't work the way that he thought they should. And what did he say? God, just take me out of here. Just take me on home. Now, we meet two men in this passage of Scripture today that are dealing with the exact same thing. We haven't met these guys up until this particular point. This is right after Jesus has been crucified, right after he has risen again. And Luke gives us this story, beginning in verse 13, of two men who were on their way back from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And I think what you will see is that their struggle is very often the same struggle that you and I face. And it's one of figuring out how to make it through unmet expectations. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're battling. I don't know what's going on in your life. But we're nearing the end of the quarter. You probably have papers that haven't been turned in. You probably got exams that are coming up. You probably got a lot of things going on in your life. And you might have even, this might even be your very first quarter, and you might be thinking at this point, eight weeks in, this is not the way I thought it was going to be. 
My expectations haven't been met. Well, I want to show you Jesus' response to unmet expectations this morning that we find in this passage of Scripture. There are two things I want us to see. Number one, the truth about unmet expectations. Now, like I said, beginning in verse 13, we haven't met these guys. You know, in Luke, that's one of the things I, I, I love. I took over two years preaching through the book of Luke in my church, and Luke is so detail-oriented. I mean, he gives you little details that other writers don't give you. But we haven't met these guys before. We know nothing about them. We just see in verse 13 that there's two of them, and it says they went that same day to a village called e Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, or about seven miles and notice what it says, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. Now, for all the things that these guys get wrong in this passage that we're going to talk about, man, there's one thing that they've got right. There's two of them. They're not facing it alone. Cleopas is not on his way home by himself saying, man, I can't figure out, you know, I thought Jesus was this and, you know, he was that and I can't figure out, you know, he's not by himself. Can I just tell you this morning that this is one thing that they get right. There's two of them. You need a buddy in your life. You need somebody to talk about your struggles with. You need somebody that is there to walk beside you and there to encourage you and there to listen to you when things happen in ministry. And so here they are. They're walking home this, this seven-mile journey. They're talking about the things which had happened. And what is fascinating is when you study this in the Greek, this lends itself to this being a heated conversation. So they're not just like walking along going, man, what would you think about what happened with Jesus? Well, you know, I mean, they're not, this is not a casual conversation. As a matter of fact, they're kind of debating over what they've just seen. They're kind of debating over what has just transpired in front of them. And I love how Jesus approaches this situation. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass that, that, while, they con that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Look at verse 16. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Now, they're wrapped up in this situation that they've just witnessed. They're walking along. They're discussing what has just happened, what they've seen in Jerusalem, and Jesus Christ, whom they're discussing now, walks up with them. But the Bible says that their eyes were holding. They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize you know, It wasn't because Jesus looked different, okay? When I was growing up, and some of you who are close to my age, you probably remember this, we had these Sunday school materials that were given out. And it would come in this big envelope that was about this long. And there was always pictures to go with each Bible lesson each week. And the teacher, would she would teach the lesson, and she would hold up this picture, and she would point out to you, this is kind of what it looked like and what's going on. And what I never could figure out, and I don't know if it was the time period I grew up in or what, but every post-resurrection picture of Jesus, he had short hair. So somewhere along the way, you know, died on the cross, defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave, got a haircut, and then appeared to humanity. It wasn't because Jesus looked different. He looked exactly the same. But what you see taking place here is that they were so overwhelmed, they didn't realize he was with them. Now let me ask you this morning, have you ever been there? Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that maybe, because what happens to us when difficulties arise and struggles happen, do we tend to look to God or do we look at the struggle? We tend to focus on the struggle, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and we forget that Jesus has said very specifically and very plainly, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We forget that Jesus has said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We forget those things because we only look at the problem. And these two men, they are so overwhelmed with everything that has just happened 
that they miss the fact that Jesus is now walking with them. It's easier to do than one might think, especially when you put your eyes in the wrong place. But I love how Jesus handles this. They didn't know him, it says in verse 16. But then notice Jesus comes up to him in verse 17, and he asks them a question. What manner of communications are these that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? So he notices they're sad. He notices that they're down. He notices that they're struggling. He says, so what are you guys talking about? What what has made you so sad? What is bothering you? What is breaking your heart? Now, guys, it's not like Jesus doesn't know. Okay, He knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He knew exactly what was going on inside of their hearts. But this is something that you find all throughout the Bible. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. You think God didn't know where Adam was? The passage that I just told you about a moment ago with Elijah. Just before that, God says, Why are you here, Elijah? You think God didn't know what was going on inside? God knows. Jesus knows. He always knows. But the beauty of this is that he wants to hear it from them. He wants them to confess it. There is power in confession. And that's what God desires from us. Jesus walks up here and he asks them, what is going on? Why are you so sad? In verse 18, you know, like I said, I love Luke and I love his, his, his writing style. And I just think it's funny that he tells us one of them's name, Cleopas. You think maybe he just had kind of, he's like, I'm going to tell everybody Cleopas was the one that was kind of sarcastic with Jesus. I mean, maybe, maybe he's kind of pointing that out to him here. He says, whose name was Cleopas, answering and said to him, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? And has, have you not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? I mean, he, he looks at Jesus and he says, well, who, do you not have a clue at what's going on? Haven't you seen what's just happened? And then notice what Jesus does next. Jesus asks him, what things? When you approach Jesus, he wants to hear specifically what's going on. We get so accustomed to generic things in our lives, don't we? God, forgive me of my sins. Lord, be with those who are sick. And very, very rarely do we specify. When Jesus is standing there going, what things? Tell me specifically what things that are going on. Well, then Cleopas begins to explain to him everything that has happened. He tells him about Jesus. This, this, he said he was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers, in verse 20, delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Now, verse 21 summarizes why they are where they are. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all of this, today is the third day since these things were done. Do you get what they're saying there? We thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought this is what... And hey, Messiahs don't die on you. And when they make the statement there, we thought he was the one that would redeem Israel, they don't mean like you and I think about redeem. They, they're thinking military. They're thinking overthrow the Romans. We thought he was going to be the one that was going to step into this situation and save us from Roman oppression. No Messiah is going to be beaten. No Messiah is going to be nailed to a cross. No Messiah is going to die. And certainly no Messiah is going to be buried. Their expectations haven't been met. And brothers and sisters, I think this is one of the most difficult realities that you and I face in our Christian walk. The Jesus we want versus the Jesus who is. And a lot of times we spend our lives trying to reconcile those two things. 
because we have our own opinions of how Jesus should be. We have our own ideals of what Jesus should be like. We have our own, own fantasies of how our lives should work out. We have our own desires that we think should be met. And then we begin to look at the Scriptures and we begin to look at how our Savior lived and how our Savior died and how He gave Himself up for us. And it's hard to reconcile the one we want versus the one who is. And these two men were struggling with that reality. They can't make sense of how this great Jesus who was supposed to deliver them died and was buried. And what's even worse is you look in verse 22, and it says, And certain women also of our company made us astonished when they went early to the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said he was alive. They've got people telling them Jesus is not dead, but they're so stuck in the reality they're in, they won't even listen to good news. They're so overwhelmed. They're so convinced that they're right that they will not hear the good news that Jesus is alive. Like I said a moment ago, I think one of our greatest battles is reconciling those two things. And I'm just going to be transparent with you for just a minute because God blew my heart up with this when I was a student here. It was our second quarter. You know, I was hitting it wide open. Had a, a good job, left my job to come back to school full-time and started working part-time at a different place. And so we just found out we we're going to have our first child. We're super excited. I mean, everything is just, you know, I mean, you get that news, you know, you're going to have a baby, and then we go for the ultrasound, and you hear it's a boy. And man, your heart is like up here because you're just excited. But then the ultrasound tech looks at you and says, you need to meet with the doctor after this appointment. And then we get asked questions. We get pulled into the doctor's office, and we begin to get asked questions about does cystic fibrosis run in your family? Does this run in your family? And so here I am, like this, this moment of absolute elation, and I am crushed in a matter of about 30 seconds. Not only that, around the same time, my grandfather that I love dearly was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And if you've ever had anybody in your life that's dealt with that, it is one of the most horrible diseases that anybody could ever have. And so here... There's two strikes. Well, then I come home from school one day. I've been at Fruitland. You know, I've been studying all day, excited, fired up. Wife gets home and she says, well, we got this bill and this bill and this bill and this bill. And I don't know how we're going to pay them. And so here I am doing what God wants me to do, coming to the place God wants me to come, and the bottom drops out. I was an associate pastor at the time. The pastor wanted me to preach that Sunday night. I went into my study, I sat down, and guys, I'm going to be honest with you, I opened my Bible, and I got mad. I got really, really mad. I tried to study, I couldn't get a coherent thought, I couldn't get anything together, I couldn't get any, and it was just all this stuff going through my mind, and so I just laid my Bible down, and I said, God, I don't get it. I said, God, I've followed you. God, I gave up my job. God, my son could potentially have some health problems. God, I'm losing my granddaddy. God, we can't pay our bills. God, I can't figure this out. Can you please help me make sense of this? I followed you. It's not supposed to be this way. Did you hear that? My expectations hadn't been met. God reminded me very, very quickly it wasn't about me. And I could take you to the spot in that house where God absolutely crushed my heart that day and reminded me I 
from following a Savior who was bruised for our iniquities, who was crushed, who was nailed to a cross. And God reminded me very, very quickly, look, this is about my plan and my glory, not you. He said, I got a plan in all this. And so God began to show me in the midst of that the Jesus I wanted versus the Jesus who was. And guess what I found? Jesus who was is far greater than the Jesus that I wanted or that I thought I wanted. Now I want you to notice how Christ handles this. Because this is a good reminder for all of us, especially when these moments come. Jesus responds, I mean, verses 23 and 24. They said, we've heard this good news, we've heard that he's alive, but we really don't believe it. We don't, we don't really think he's alive because we haven't been there, we haven't seen it. And so they literally just, you know, kind of just brush it off. Well, in verse 25, Jesus responds with the way to overcome unmet expectations. Jesus responds with the way to overcome these types of disappointment that come our way quite often. I want you to carefully notice Jesus' response right here. First, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these two men. And then listen to what, just imagine Jesus saying this to you. Oh, fools and slow of heart. I mean, tell us how you really feel, Jesus. He doesn't come up to them and say, bless your little heart, you're overwhelmed. He doesn't come up to them and say, I'm sorry you're struggling right now, guys. But instead, he point, you know, I mean, he just says, you guys are idiots, essentially. Just to put in our modern language, that's, that's pretty much what he says. Because this was a heavy insult. I mean, he says, you're foolish and you're slow of heart. You can't understand things. But if you're taking notes this morning, the operative key word in this passage is one three-letter little word that we often overlook. He says, O fools and slow of heart to believe. What's the next word in the text? All. It's a word that we typically skip. We say that's not important, but it's key in this passage. Notice what he says. Your expectations, you're struggling with this because you haven't believed all that the prophets have spoken. They only wanted part of the word of God. They only wanted a partial message. Because notice what he says right after this. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Do you see what he's getting at? They missed the suffering part. They only wanted the glory. And Jesus says, all of this time I've been preaching to you, all this time you've read that the Son of Man has to suffer first and then enter into his glory. But you wanted to skip that part. You wanted to get straight to the glory. Is that not the exact same temptation that Satan met Christ with in the wilderness? Skip all this and I'll exalt you. And if we're not careful, that's the same temptation that can hammer us in ministry sometimes. We think we're above suffering. First Peter, it tells us we're called to suffer. Let that settle in your heart for just a second. It's not just a random thing, but you are called to it. Because Jesus makes this statement, is the servant greater than his master? And I want you to notice what Jesus goes on to do next. Should he not have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? We can't be selective about the things that we believe about the Bible. And just a side note, that's one of the greatest compromises Satan will tempt you with when you start to pastor a church. And every pastor in this room knows what I'm talking about. Let's just leave out this passage because this might cause a little controversy. 
Let's not, let's not go there because it might upset so-and-so in the back. That's why I preach straight through books. Because you have to hit it then. You can't hide from it. You can't say, well, oh, let's, let's leave out chapter 5. That one's a little too tough. Jesus makes it very clear right here. They had, they had been picking and choosing what they believed about the Bible, and that led to their discouragement. They'd been picking and choosing what they believed about Christ, and that led them to this point that they found themselves in. They had left out the entire message of the Bible. And then notice what it says Jesus does next. And, begin, and man, this is a Bible class I would have loved to have been a part of. I mean, you talk about a rapid-fire Bible lesson. Jesus gives it to them right here. And beginning at Moses and what? What's that word? There it is again. All the prophets. It didn't say Jesus picked out this chapter and this chapter and this chapter, but it says that he started with Moses and he went through all the prophets and began to explain to them all things concerning who? Concerning himself. They'd missed through the entire Bible. They sit there and they listen to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, expound the Word of God to them and demonstrate to them and show them throughout the entire story, this is me. Do you think maybe he said, he said, guys, you know, he said there in Genesis, he said, when you read about the seed of woman that will crush the head of a serpent, you think maybe he was going through Exodus with them and he says, guys, they're, they're, in, they're in Exodus, that, that Passover lamb. You think maybe in Leviticus, he said, you know, he said, I'm the great high priest. That's what that's talking about. And he continues to, you, you think maybe he stopped in Joshua and he says, you know, you get to that point in Joshua where it talks about the captain of the Lord's host. He said, guys, realize the captain of the Lord's host is me. And maybe he gets them into Psalms. And he says in Psalm 22, when you begin to read about this, this servant who's suffering, that's me. And in Psalm 23, when you begin to read about the good shepherd, that's me. In Psalm 24, when you read about the glorious king, that's me. All the way to the end of the entire Old Testament to Malachi, when he says, I'm the son of righteousness, rising with healing in my wings. He takes them through the Old Testament and he shows them who he is all the way throughout the story. Guys, do not skip or leave out or overlook any part of this book. From Genesis 1, as, as Kenneth Ridings used to say, all the way to the maps in the back. Don't skip any of it. Because every single word of it points to Him. And if you leave out part of it, you'll get a partial view of Him, which will lead you to a place of discouragement and disappointment and unmet expectations, just like we see in this passage of Scripture right here. Jesus begins to teach them. And I've always said, man, I would, I would love this. It just makes you long for this opportunity to be able to just sit with Jesus and just let him expound on everything. You look in verse 28. He just continues to teach them. And it says, they drew nigh to the village whither, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. So they're literally, they're walking along. They get home and Jesus is like, all right, guys, I'll see you. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Don't leave. Don't leave us. Don't leave us here. Don't walk away from us. They begin, Notice what it says in verse 29, but they constrained him. They literally began to beg Jesus, stay with us. Stay here with us. You see, that's what happens when you begin to spend time in the Word of God. That's what, that's what happens when you begin to find yourself immersing yourself in this right here. When you spend time with the Word of God, you're going to desire the God of the Word more than you ever have. 
And I, and I think Chris mentioned this last week, and I, I thought this was such a great point. Do not fall into the trap of only studying for sermons. Do not fall into the trap of only reading a passage of Scripture because you have to to write a paper on it. Because you will wind up discouraged and disappointed every single time. You have to feed your own soul. And so Jesus begins to teach them, and they get home, and so they beg him, please stay with us. And I want you to notice the last part in verse 29, and he went in to tarry with them. He doesn't look at them and say, guys, I don't have time. I've not got time for this. They invite him in, and he stays. Can I tell you, he did the exact same thing for you. If you ask him, he'll be there. If you ask him, he will step in. So he comes in to tarry with them. Verse 30, it says, And it came to pass, as he sat at me with him, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. I mean, doesn't that just make you want to just sit down and have a meal with Jesus? To see the closeness and the fellowship that's in this text. And you say, why does that matter? Why, why does that matter? Because, folks, he's doing what the host normally does in that verse. A guest never comes into a house and begins to break the bread and begins to do the things that Jesus does here. Jewish custom was the owner of the home would do this. And so guess what? Jesus steps in and he takes over, which is also what happens when you draw yourself close to him, when you bring your disappointments to him, when you bring your struggles. You say, Jesus, I need you. And guess what? He steps in there and he'll take over. Verse 31. <laughs> you just think about it. And their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. He's real. He's here. He's alive. He's gone. I mean, they finally get there, and Jesus is gone. They finally understand, and he vanishes out of their sight. But I want you to notice the changes that take place. Verse 32, they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened us the Scriptures? Something happened. They went from despair, discouragement, unmet expectations, trying to reconcile the Jesus that they wanted versus the Jesus who was to having hearts that were about to explode with the truth of God's Word. And that's what happens when we draw ourselves. Jesus says, this, this is the remedy right here. You go back to the Word of God. You find me in the Word of God on every single page, and this changes everything. Now notice what happens. They talk about their hearts burning with them. Verse 33, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together with them that were with them. How far do we say it was? Seven miles. I like to run. It takes me on average about an hour and seven or eight minutes to run seven miles. I guarantee you the trip back to Jerusalem was much quicker than the trip when they left, don't you? They probably set a personal best record coming back. Because I want you to notice what it, what it says about them here. It says they went back that, I mean, I mean, they didn't even rest an hour. It says they went that same hour. So they had walked seven miles, spent all this time with Jesus, and it was so overwhelming and so wonderful that they literally got up and they went back that same hour they ran back to Jerusalem. And look at verse 34. Look at the different message. The Lord is risen indeed, and he hath appeared to Simon. They go from saying he's not the Messiah to saying he's alive. And that's what he'll do in your heart, brothers and sisters. When you begin to battle those unmet expectations, like I said, he's going to show you that the Jesus who is is much better than the Jesus you think you want. So often we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know, how, we don't even know what to ask for. 
You know, what I've come to the conclusion that, you know, one of the most powerful prayers or one of the most powerful things that you can ever whisper to God is just simply, Lord, I need you. We like to think a lot of times in ministry, we like to pretend that we got it all together. Listen, to me, the two greatest truths in the world are Jesus loves me, this I know, and then calling out and saying, Lord, I need you. So when you find yourself discouraged, beaten down, trying to reconcile, why is this happening? Why am I here? Just cry out, Lord. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Stand up and sing it with me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the power of your word. And God, we pray that you will forgive us for those times that we take our eyes off of the word, off of the truth, and we put them on our circumstances. We pray, God, that you'll forgive us for those times that we make our problems bigger than you. And God, I pray this morning that you will just remind every person in this room that you are the great I am. That Lord, you are sovereign. You are in control. And you are worthy of every ounce of praise, honor, and glory that we can give you. God, I pray that you will encourage those who need encouragement. I pray that you will strengthen those who need strength. I pray that you will give peace to those who are desperately seeking peace. Grant them grace to finish this quarter strong. Grant them grace to support each other, prop one another up, and be there for each other. God, bless this school. Lord, you know how thankful in my heart I am for this place. So thankful for Dr. Horton. I'm so thankful for Dr. Thompson and for each and every one of the faculty members that you have placed here. God, continue to shed your grace on them. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. It's in your holy and precious and beautiful name that we pray.